good morning. It is, uh, it's really good to see you. How have you been? You've been well? Some of you, uh, I know some of you are coming back from vacation. Some of you are getting ready. Uh, some people are on vacation uh, this week as we have fall breaks kind of going through this time. I hope, uh, I hope you're doing well entering this fall season. I love this weather. There was a little bit of frost on my car this morning, and I was like, yes. So some of you are like, you, you have some evil in your heart or something, but uh, man, I love it. I love it. I'm glad to be here this morning. I'm glad you're here too, whether you're joining us online or in person. Uh, my name's Steve Cunningham. I get to be uh, the lead pastor here at Wellhouse. We're surrounded by uh, just a lot of great partners here um, who, who love Jesus and who want to see him at work in this world. Uh, we have great shepherds here, great lead team. Uh, appreciate our, our band this morning, Lee. Leading us, uh, and I'm just really grateful to get to share uh, this this message with you today. Last week we kicked off a new series, and I, and I just have to tell you, I think it's my favorite of of the whole year, uh, and that's because it's kind of the whole idea of this series called Haunted is is shedding light into dark places that seem scary. Uh, and a lot of times uh, in personal circles or in church circles, there's some conversations that we typically don't know how to address. We don't typically know how to talk about. In fact, most of the time, these topics kind of stay behind closed doors. They're kind of the skeletons in the closet. And what we really wanted to do with this series is to kind of expose those things so they don't seem so scary anymore. And sometimes when we expose those things to the light of Jesus, what happens is they don't hold the same pressure over us anymore. And that's what our prayer is for for this series. Uh, Next week, I I hope that you come back for it because we're going to be talking about this idea of resentment. And I don't know if you have in your life, you know, somebody who is, you felt like has treated you wrong. They have wronged you in some way. Maybe it's your parents, your grandparents, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was an uh, ex-spouse in some way or something like that. And you've kind of built up some resentment in your life. We're going to be walking through that in a couple of weeks. We're going to be talking about addiction and how that looks. And sometimes we th- when we talk about addiction, sometimes we, we might think about drugs, or alcohol, but what we'll find through that is everybody generally in their life wrestles with some kind of addiction. We just don't want to label it that, right? So we're going to be exposing some of those things in our life and looking at some of that. We're going to be looking at uh, doubt and how sometimes doubt tries to take us out in life. And we're going to be looking at that as well. But today, I'm just going to let you know, today's topic is we're going to be looking at regret. We're going to be looking at regret and trying to uh, expose that in the light of Christ. And how do we deal with uh, past regret? Now, I don't know about you, but I have some things in my life where I wish I could go back in time and change something I said or change something I did. I wouldn't do it that way again, or I would. Some of us, our biggest regrets are the things we didn't do, right? We wish we would have spent more time with this person. We wish we would have said those things that we didn't say. And so we live sometimes with the regret of things that we did or didn't do. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I am an observer of just human 
uh, interaction, human personalities, and how people think and process through things. That always kind of fascinates me. And so a couple of years ago when, uh, when we, had the, we were first exposed to this thing called COVID-19, uh, the first week or so that kind of everything was shut down, locked down, things like that, I went to the store just as at the kind of beginning of things, and I noticed some really interesting uh, things that happened. One of them was you could not find toilet paper anywhere, right? And what and what it made me do, and I'll just be honest with you, you might think this is foolish, I don't know, but I went home and I and I researched like what are the symptoms of COVID because I was thinking like, all right, this must mean like massive diarrhea. And so everybody's like just stocking up. Like I really did research this because I thought, is this like, is this the way everybody dies, right? Um, and so it's like dysentery on the Oregon Trail, right? It was just everybody dies this way. And then I discovered that that's not what happened at all. And I thought, why, why is everybody stocked? I, like, I get food and may, maybe water and things to hydrate. But toilet paper seems a bit odd. Until it hit me that sometimes fear causes us to do some really strange things, doesn't it? Fear causes us to do some really strange things in life. And my guess is we probably wouldn't have to go back in my life very far or your life very far to find that sometimes the fear in our life has caused us to do some really bizarre things. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of John. John is uh, one of the four Gospels. We read about the life of Jesus and how he lived and how he died. And we're going to read a story from the Gospel of John John chapter 4 today. But before we get there, I need you to know that there are various roots of the fear, uh, for fear, or of fear, but almost none of them, almost none of them lead to life. There are various roots of fear. A lot of things can cause fear in our life, but very rarely any of them will lead to life. And we're going to find that today through a story in Scripture. And my hope is that we don't just look at this story, that somehow through the things we talk about today, you're going to expose some of the fear that you may have in your past, and you're going to be able to deal with that a little more uh, in a healthy way over the next few days and few weeks and few months of your life. If you have your Bible open now to John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. Uh, this is what it says here. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although the fact uh, was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went once back more to Galilee. There's some fear right there. The fear was the Pharisees were afraid of Jesus and his momentum and, and his influence over the people. So Jesus leaves, and he has to go through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Put that away in your memory bank. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' His disciples had gone into town to buy food. John gives a little insight into the story there. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. 
How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to drink water. And he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. You see, the fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man that you now have is not your husband. What you said is quite true. Now, this story is fascinating. There's a lot of things that happen in this story that we can look at, but there's an interaction here with Jesus and a Samaritan woman, two people that should never be together, two people that should never uh, have this interaction, and yet we see this all on display for us as Jesus is on the scene. He arrives uh, at noon in the heat of the day, and, and he meets this Samaritan woman, and he asks her for a drink. They engage in this dialogue where Jesus says, listen, I, I have something that's going to well up inside of you life. And you're never going to, to feel this want, this desire again. And she, and she interprets it as, as something that's going to kind of prevent her from having to go back to the well. So she says, listen, if you got living water, then I want some. And so then he addresses something with her that no doubt isn't the first time somebody's addressed this with her. It's some regrets of her past. It's the secrets that she had hoped, because you know, she kind of shut the door on. And it's the whole reason she's there, see, in, in noon at the heat of the day. She's all by herself. Now, typically what would happen is if, if you went to a well, you would go in the evening time, and this was generally reserved for the women of the culture. They would go to the well, and it was a time where they could help one another out, draw water from the well. They would all travel together. It was kind of a safety thing, but it was also a community event. It was their time to share with one another, to kind of debrief with one another. They weren't texting each other, right? They weren't sending each other notes. It was their time of community to get to know one another, but that was the thing that this woman did not want in her life. And it's because she had some, re some regrets. She had made some things, some errors, some mistakes. She, she had a past of sin, and she did not want to let anybody remind her of the regret that she had. What we find in this story is, is so true to our own story. 
The first is this, that unprocessed regret generally leads to shame. Unprocessed regret generally leads to shame. It wasn't that she regretted past decisions that she had made over and over and over again. It was at this point that she realized she had a lot of shame surrounding that idea. She had a lot of shame involved or wrapped up in the things that she had done previously and was still currently doing. And so she wanted to isolate herself. And it's not just the shame. See, when you let the feeling of shame fester, it will turn into fear. I spent my whole life in church. And one of the hardest things to witness and watch over and over and over again is to watch people silently wrestle through really heavy things. But they don't share it with anybody because the shame of what they've wrestled through, they're afraid of how people will look at them and think about them and judge them. You see, fear is often a great motivator, but in the wrong direction. Fear is a great motivator. You've been motivated by fear before, I'm sure, but fear is generally a great motivator, just in the wrong direction. So what happens in this woman's life, as as opposed to dealing with the regret, as opposed to outing the shame and saying, all right, I need to work through this, I need to deal through this, fear motivates her to isolate herself from everybody else. She's afraid of what they'll think, of, of what they'll say, of the things that she might hear from them or their judgment calls on her life, and so she decides that she's going to isolate herself from everybody else. And here is Jesus who's bringing these things up. You see, this same cycle of regret leading to shame, leading to fear is not something new in our human history. We see the same thing happen in the Garden of Eden. You remember the story of Adam and Eve in the garden with the serpent, and and he tempts them with this tree that that God says, listen, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for this one. Don't eat from it. And of of course, the, the, the serpent who is sly says, listen, the reason why God doesn't want you to do that is because you'll become like him. So they look and they see that the tree is, is, it looks like it's good fruit. And so they decide they're going to take a bite of it. And all of a sudden, their world changes and they realize, man, we have made a mistake. We have a regret. And they look around and all of a sudden, they're covered in shame. They realize for the first time ever before that they're exposed, they're naked. And so what do they do? Well, they hide. And where we see Adam and Eve next is they're hiding in the garden because they're exposed. And God comes into the garden and he calls out their name. And they're trembling in fear. It's the first time in all of creation that humanity experiences fear. I want you to think about that for a moment because what happened prior to that was Actually, God ta- uh, tasks Adam to name all of the, the, the animals that he created. Now, I don't know about you, but 
there's a few animals that I don't necessarily particularly love to be around, right? And my guess is that I might be able to hold up a few animals, you know, here on stage, and I might get close to some of you. I wouldn't even get close to some of you, and you'd be running out the back door, right? Because some of those things in us evoke fear. But before that time, what we understand is there wasn't fear. But fear came as a part of unprocessed regret that festered and led to shame, that eventually led to fear and isolation. And here is exactly where this woman was. See, she had some past regrets, man. She made some mistakes. And boy, they seem pivotal. And she let those things enter into a shameful feeling. I'm so horrible. Look at all the things that I've done. Look at who I am and look who everybody else is. And what would they think of me if they only knew? Or maybe even worse yet, they already know. What do they think of me now? And that turns into fear, which eventually leads to isolation. But the amazing thing in this story is that it doesn't end there. That as Jesus exposes her biggest regret, that she doesn't shut down. The story doesn't end there. It continues on. And this is what happens. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that this is the place we must worship. The, the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem's. In Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they're the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one you're uh, speaking to you, am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked the obvious questions. What do you want or why are you talking with her? And leaving the jar of water, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, and if you have a highlighter or underliner, underline this, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So they came out of the town and they made their way towards him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And his disciples said to each other, one of us had brought a food, and Jesus responds, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me to finish the work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. Yet I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. And we get to pan back into the story of the Samaritan woman who goes and talks to her town. 
Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him, meaning Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. This is her testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Stop for a minute and imagine if that was your testimony. You won't believe this, but all the shame, all the regret, all the fear I had, Jesus said it all. And yet somehow for us, it's kind of like a, ooh, I do not want that. I, I remember thinking as, a, as kind of a young guy growing up in the church, I thought, man, the last thing I want is for God, like if I, if I have to stand in front of the pearly gates, the last thing I want is for God to play the videotape of all the things that I've ever done because we're going to be there, number one, a while, right? And then the number two, it's going to be really bad. Like I'm not going to get in because this is going to take a bit and it's bad, And here's this woman who says, you know what? I believe because he told me everything in my life that I ever did. In fact, we don't find that she just believes. In fact, we found her whole town starts to believe in Jesus because of her testimony. He told me everything I ever did. See, this woman goes from isolation to an open book. Her worst regret becomes her biggest testimony. Isn't that powerful? See, I think that's true for you too. I know it sounds like preacher hogwash, right? I know it sounds like it could be probably too good to be true. But what if you could meet Jesus in such a way that all of a sudden that the regrets from your past are revealed and in the light of Christ, all of a sudden it doesn't bring you fear anymore. It doesn't feel like shame anymore. There's no more regret. In fact, God just says, you know what? We're going to use that as your biggest testimony for other people to believe in me too. See, I believe that's the power of Christ within us. Here's what I want you to do for a moment. Just, just close your eyes. If you're at home, close your eyes. If you're here, close your eyes. I want you to take a couple of just deep breaths, like in, in through your nose and out through your mouth. And as you do that, I want you to go back in time. I want you to go back past the last couple of weeks, last couple of months, last couple of years. I want you to go back past, past the regret. I want you to go back past those teenage years where things were awkward. I want you to go back past your childhood. I want you to go back all the way to the day you were born. Now, you, weren't, you don't remember that time, but you were there. And there was a moment right before you were born. There was a moment before you took your first breath. And there was excitement in the room. And there was a bit of nerves in the room. And there was hustle. And I want you to feel that. I want you to see that. That right before you were born, man, the, there was a room full of people that were so excited for you. And then you came out. And you took your first breath. 
that filled your tiny little lungs. And you cried for the first time, and those tears brought such celebration. It brought such life to all of the doctors and the nurses and the people in your, in your room, your family, the people who loved you without knowing you. Because you existed. There's an interesting scripture. It happens in Genesis. It also happens at the end of the Gospels. In Genesis it says that God formed man and breathed life into his nostrils and he became a living being. At the end of the scripture, at the end of the gospel accounts, it says that the disciples, they were hidden in a room out of fear. And Jesus comes before them and it says he saw and he breathed on them. And he gave them peace. See, what if our encounter with Jesus and our biggest shame, our, our, our moments when we are tempted to rewind the tape, just to those moments in time, just to those thoughts in time, just to that shame in time, just to the fear in time, and we carry that forward? What if we, what if we stop the tape too soon? What if, we, what if we go all the way back to the time where Jesus says, I'm going to breathe life into you and I'm going to keep breathing life into you until you realize that even your biggest mistakes, even your biggest regrets, even the thing that brings you the most shame will not separate you from me. In fact, I'll use those things if you let me. I'll use those things in a way that nobody could even understand. I'll, I'll put it, in fact, I'm going to put it in all of Scripture so the first person who could ever be an evangelist, the first person who ever gets to find out that Jesus is who he claims to be, is this woman who sits in, 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 in the feeling of, re, of regret and shame and fear, and all of a sudden, Jesus flips the script. And he says, no, 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 I celebrate you. I love you. I'm going to turn your story completely upside down. See, the thing that led to isolation is now the thing that's going to bring you back into community with others. And I believe that that can be your story too. I believe that, church. See, here's a few things that I think we need to know as we walk through how to deal with our regret that leads to shame, that leads to fear. The first thing is this, that you're not the only person that has regrets. You're not the only person that has regrets. I remember growing up in church and there were people that were, you know, shepherds and there were people that were leaders in the church. And there were people that were pastors. And I would look at them and I think, man, it, it, I would love to be that kind of person. The problem is, is that I'm Steve and I make all kinds of stupid decisions in my life that I wind up regretting. And so I can't be that person. But here's the truth of the matter. And I want you to hear this from me. Everybody has regrets in their life. Everybody. And when we decide to compare our regrets with somebody else, that typically breeds isolation. However, when we identify 
our shame, our regrets, our fear with other. Well, then it breeds community. See, church, we're a group of imperfect people who are loved by and being transformed by a perfect God. Don't forget, you are not the only person who has regrets in this life. And sometimes even that saying alone helps us understand that there's other people we interact with who are trying to isolate themselves because they're afraid, because they feel shame, because they have a regret somewhere along the way that they hope nobody else finds out in this life. And what if you're the safe person that says, listen, it's okay. I have regrets too. Second thing is this. Remember that the only person who is worthy to condemn you doesn't. The only person who is worthy, able to condemn you, he doesn't do it. I love this story because he could have stopped right there and said, listen, the reason why you can't go home to your husband is because you have a sordid past, which eliminates you from knowing the truth, which eliminates you from having a testimony at all which eliminates you from being an evangelist, for sure, from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instead, that's not the way the story goes. You remember the the woman who was caught in adultery? They bring her out front. They said, listen, the the law of Moses says that we stone her. Are you going to stick to the law? He reminds them, all right, listen, you without a past, you, you with no regret, no shame, no fear, you get to be the person that throws the first stone. And eventually, one by one, the older ones, because we generally have the most regret, right? They all leave. There's nobody left. And he turns to the woman and he says, all right, listen, who's here to condemn you? And she looks up stunning and she said, nobody. Except for you. And he reassures her, and he says, then neither do I. Then neither do I. Listen, you have some sin. You have some regret. You need to deal with those things, but I am not going to condemn you. Yes, we are called to be holy as God is holy, and we should live a life in pursuit of the holiness of Christ in our life. But Jesus didn't waste his blood So you could shoulder the burden of trying to be perfect. Why would he waste his blood like that if you could do it on your own? See, he already knows, and he doesn't condemn you for it. Band, if you want to come on up, we kind of finish our last thoughts together. The last thing is this. Your past, oh, your past is always going to feel heavy until you allow God to leverage it for someone else. Your past is always going to feel heavy until you decide that you're going to allow God to work in your life and use it as a testimony. I want you to think about this woman, the Samaritan woman's story. Imagine she has this encounter with, with Jesus. She goes back home and then continues in the same cycle. She knows Jesus is, is, is who he says he is, but she's like, I'm not telling anybody anything. I could tell them, hey, I met this really interesting person. He called himself the Messiah. And that's it. But do you remember what she said? 
I met a guy and he told me everything, everything I ever did. And yet, somehow, in some way, it breathed life back into me. It wasn't exposing myself and then feeling more shame. It wasn't exposing myself and feeling more regret. It wasn't exposing myself and feeling like I needed to run away in fear. It was exposing all of these things. And somehow, in some way, he breathed life into my bones. And he could do the same for you too. You know what makes some of the biblical characters great? my opinion, is that we see God use their flaws to advance his kingdom. See, if there are already really extraordinary people, it wouldn't seem that great. But when we see God work through the weaknesses, we see a testimony of God's strength even when we are small, even when we're broken, even when there's shame. And the same is true for you. God wants to work in your deepest regrets. And he doesn't want you to wallow in shame. He doesn't want you to be afraid and run in isolation. What he wants is to breathe life into you again. To move past all that other junk and get to the place where your biggest worries aren't a worry anymore. Where your biggest failures, oh, well, there's strength in his hand. One of the most precious times we have at Wellhouse is a time of communion. It's, it's a time where we remember all the things that God did for us so that we have life in him again. So we don't have the strength on our own, it's through him. And so for some of us, this is a time of prayer, of seeking out God, of saying, listen, Man, I'm so sick of running. I'm so sick of being caught up in fear that somebody might find out this thing about me. That God, I just need your help to say, all right, listen, this is the thing that God delivered me from or this is the thing I need God to deliver me from. I'm not out of it yet. But this is who I am and I know God loves me anyway. This is the table time. We have tables on either side and in a moment... You'll get the chance to go there. If you want to pray with somebody, you want somebody to pray over you, you want to grab somebody by the arm and say, listen, can I pray for you this week that you won't live in the past, but you'll be transformed by what God can do for you in the future. And use this time for that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you now to him who is able to do abundantly more than what we ask or imagine to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy may be swept away in God's love for you transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you thanks be to our only God our Savior who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient. 
who's before all things, through all things, in all things, both now and forever. Amen. You're dismissed at the table.